Good to see everybody this morning. I didn't know how many would show up after that big uh, hoedown last night. Uh, we had a wonderful time. Appreciate everybody who came and was a part of it. We ended up doing it inside, if you haven't heard. And so uh, you talk about rearranging your home and doing things. Uh, last night was a big, fast food, and then moved everything, and then uh, they got carried away and had a good time. So we appreciate it, and uh, we appreciate everybody else who helped put it together uh, to, get, to be able to spend time. So, But this morning, as we gather together, we have several announcements uh, that we'll share together in just a moment. But let me read the silent meditation this morning as we go forward. We've been studying and learning about prayer. One of the things our session is been about as prayer and revisiting the vision and looking forward to uh, what the future holds for us and moving forward. And so as we put these together for you, spend just a moment and listen. The word prayer expresses the largest and most comprehensive approach to God. It gives prominence to the element of devotion. It is communion and fellowship with God. It is the enjoyment of God. It is access to God. Let's access him and enjoy him for a moment as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity again that you would call us to yourselves, that we could come the weak and the heavy laden, and we could find rest. We could find not only answers to our concerns and questions, but we can find the salvation and the freedom that we need from the sin that binds us, from our uh, hindrances, from our trials. Lord, we come to worship because this is the place where we can commune with you. Lord, we ask that you help us in prayer, that we learn how it is that we can enjoy you, that we can be in that place where we can uh, have wonderful communication with you. Lord, this morning as we worship, we do offer prayer. Prayer not only now, but later on for the needs that we have. Bless this time and all who are here. In Jesus' name, amen. We do have a few announcements. I don't want to run through the list. We, we trust that you get the blast that Christy sends out, and then we try to put some of those in here. You did see the crates for Ukraine table. We do have our shoeboxes out there. If you haven't picked your shoebox up yet, feel free to get one, fill them up. You can bring them at any time, put them under the table, around the table. If you have questions, uh, please ask, and I'm sure several people can help you with that. But uh, we would love for you to do a box and help our churches. We put together as many as possible. Um, I do want to touch just a few of the announcements. One of those is it says our church fellowship lunch on November 5th. That is a potluck this time. That's what I call them, a potluck. We've been doing picnics, bring your own stuff. But this is the day that David and Suzette should be here, uh, our coming pastor to be with us and his wife. And so we've moved it to the 5th instead of the end of the month. And it's just going to be a potluck. So I'm sure Christy and Vicki and others may send out stuff to tell you what to bring if you can help, but if, and to spend time with David and Suzette and to get to know them uh, as they're here. And so please put that on, try to be here to fellowship. You'll have other times, obviously, to meet them, but it'll be a wonderful time together. And then the very next announcement says the MTW missionaries, um, as they have moved around from place to place, will be here November 5th. That is not right. Um, it is the 19th that they will be here. And so please mark that down there. We've shared that, and it's on the calendars, but um, that will be the 19th. So we apologize, but we didn't want you to, to misschedule that. Uh, and then today, the choir, right after Sunday school. So please know, I know the men's choir is not meeting, but the adult choir is. 
So adult choir, if you're here at the end of Sunday school, we want you to come on up and be a part of that. And there will be Sunday school. I called Jack, and we were afraid that if there wasn't Sunday school, then there wouldn't be choir. And if there's no choir, there's no music. And if there's no music, there's no worship. And if there's no worship, you don't need a pastor. And if you don't have a pastor, my family goes hungry. So you put all that together, <laughs> and uh, not sure how that fits. But uh, in other words, we need Sunday school. And so I'll be teaching the adult class today. I was actually going to do a, a new section on... Uh, putting our trust in God and stop living in fear of people as I've done some of the counseling things together. And so it's just several weeks, four or five weeks, but I'll begin that. And when Jack returns, he'll still be doing John. Um, I'll still continue doing putting God first. Ken Abbott today, their Sunday school class is beginning Christianity and liberalism. If you've never been a part of that, uh, it's through Ligonier Ministries. Uh, our previous pastor, Steve Meyerhoff, I believe today is actually doing an introduction. Is that true? So if you're downstairs in the side room and you want to be a part of that, he's going to do an introduction to the PCA and all that's been a part of. And then they're going to start a series with some videos on Christianity and liberalism. So that's going to be great. The women are doing First Peter. John will be, uh, Jack will be doing John. I'll be doing the pastoral class. So we have lots of opportunities, adults, for you to go ahead and plug in and to be a part of where it is that you feel you can grow in your Christian walk. And so please, after worship at 11 o'clock, go downstairs. We have something for all the kids and for the adults as well. So please support the ministry of our church as we truly want to be a disciple-making church. And to do that, we have to be willing to teach and encourage one another in the Word of God. So uh, please stay and be a part of that. Other than that, we're glad if you're here visiting with us. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to fill out a guest card, please do that. It gives us a chance to at least make contact with you and to see how we can help your family and minister to you. Um, if you are here regularly but have a prayer request, on the back of that card is an actual prayer request. And if you fill that out, place it in the offering plate, we would be glad to lift up uh, your needs that you have to the Lord. But for now, let's take a moment. If you'll stand with me, let me call us to worship as we begin. It'll be a wonderful time. We have our children coming in a, a few moments later to help lead us in worship. And we have the choir up here, and we invite you to be a part of all that as well. But let me call us to worship from Psalm 30. It says, sing to the Lord, you his godly ones, and praise the mention of his holiness. Let's do that this morning and praise him as we sing together from your hymn book, Hymn 599, Savior, like a shepherd, lead us. After this song, I'll just... Thank you. 
Amen. You may be seated as our first and second graders come this morning to lead us in a segment of worship. Our Sunday school class has been learning about some of the missionaries which our church supports. Please pray for Satoshi and Kelly Kawashi who are planting churches in Quebec, Canada. Please pray for Ginger Boy who's translating the Bible in many different languages in Canada and Africa. Please pray for Eric and Anna Grant and their assistants as they work with the youth of MTW Missionary in Bogota, Colombia. Congregation, would you please join the children in singing that Go song? The words are in your bulletin. What a blessing to uh, have them already preparing for the day there in the adult choir. That's what this is for. No, we say thanks to, to Gay and Helper. I know Lisa's been in there for a while. And, and while I have a chance, let me say we do need help in first and second grade. If you're willing to be an assistant and help out in their class, Lisa will be out for a while and not be in there anymore. And so if you're praying about being an assistant and willing to help in the first and second grade class, please let us know because uh, we could surely use someone to go in there and help as well. Uh, but if you would take your bulletin as we continue uh, together in worshiping to confess our faith, it's always been a blessing. Uh, we celebrate the Reformation and next week on the 29th, um, I'm sure it was in the blast, the Presbytery will be putting on a Reformation service and that will be taking place up at the Broadneck EP Church in Broadneck. 
It will be at 4 p.m. If you have questions, I'm sure we'll have it out there if you haven't seen it in the blast and the bulletins. Uh, but several of the different ministers will be taking place in, from the preaching and the music and the choirs. But it will take place at 4 p.m. so that if you have other things uh, that you need to be a part of, you can. But if you have questions, they're celebrating Reformation and they'll have a wonderful service uh, to celebrate that at 4 p.m. as well. But for us, it's a wonderful time to confess our faith together to confess our sins together, to participate in worship when for centuries we just sat and listened. And as the scriptures have been opened to us and the Holy Spirit is there to lead you, we realize that when God calls us, we have no one more important than the other. We all come together to worship and use the gifts God's given us so that we can edify and glorify him. And so this morning, as we speak through the Westminster Larger Catechism, we're on the commandment number nine. And so I'll read the light print if you'll join together with me in the bold print. What is the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment is, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. So what does the ninth commandment require? The ninth commandment requires that we maintain and promote truthfulness in all our dealings with each other and maintain the good reputation of others as well as ourselves. We must come forward and stand up for the truth, speaking the truth and nothing but the truth from our hearts, not only in all matters relating to the law and justice, but in any and every circumstance whatsoever. We must have a charitable regard for others loving, desiring, and rejoicing in their good reputation. We must freely acknowledge their talents and gifts, defending their innocence. We should discourage gossips, slanderers, slanderers. We should love and protect our own good reputation and defend it when necessary. We should keep every lawful promise we make, no matter what. And finally, we should do the best we can to focus our lives and thoughts on the things that are true, noble, lovely, and admirable. It's amazing how we are required to do so much for others in a world that does so much to tell us to live for self. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and ask, uh, Father, that you would bless us in each of our gifts, in the areas of service, in the callings that you've placed upon our lives. Lord, wherever it is this morning that we're praying about serving you or ministering in your name, that you would equip us. Lord, where we find ourselves disheartened, Lord, encourage us. When we find ourselves confused, bring us clarity. When we find ourselves not knowing what to do, give us direction. Lord, we pray for the so many in our church uh, who have been sick, going through illnesses. We pray for comfort. We pray for healing, for restoration. Lord, we pray for the many who are going through rehab. Lord, that you would strengthen them, that you would give them a spirit uh, of victory, an overcomer. Lord, that you would be with their spouses and their families as they work together with them to get them through the rehab, that you would build not only a team spirit, but a family spirit to realize what the truth of that covenant bond actually is. Lord, we pray for those in our church who have lost loved ones and are experiencing grief, whether from 
parents, children, or even friends. That, Lord, you would bring comfort to them, assurance that nothing happens outside of your control. That all things happen according to your plans, according to your will. Lord, just align our hearts and minds with you so that we understand even more fully what it is you're doing. Lord, we pray for those who are going through treatments. Lord, as our bodies ail, as cancers affect us, as sicknesses overtake us, Lord, we pray that you'll give wisdom to all the doctors involved, to all the treatments, that, Lord, we not put our faith in the treatment, but we put our faith in you, that you're the one working through the doctors, you're the one that's working through the medicines, and that, Lord, they do nothing if it's not in accordance with your plan and your will for us. Lord, I pray for those who are seeking to serve you as our children lead us today in remembering our missionaries. Lord, we pray for those who are seeking to serve you in the places that you may have them go. Lord, we, we see weekly the desire of so many mission organizations that are seeking people to go and to serve and to share the gospel. Lord, we're only reminded that the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Lord, bring conviction. As we study this morning the importance of what it takes to serve you, may you convict us where it needs to be that we serve you faithfully, whether it's here or abroad. Lord, I do pray this morning for our offering. Lord, I pray that you would take all things that we have, Lord, that you have blessed us with, that we have used to not only enhance our own households and our own well-beings, but that we would give back, Father, what we can to be able to support the kingdom. Lord, I'm thankful for the faithfulness of your people, the blessings that we've enjoyed here. Lord, I thank you for the deacons who have been so focused on serving those in need and for the mercy ministries of helping those. Lord, not only those that need food, but those who need money, those who need housing and clothing. Lord, you've worked through so many of our people to do those ministries, and Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the eldership. Uh, Lord, just the wisdom that they've asked from you, that you would bestow that upon them as they seek uh, to do your will here and to lead your sheep to the best of our ability, knowing, Lord, that we're extending your wishes, not our own. We're trying to further your will, not our own. We're trying to extend the gospel to others, not our own plans. Lord, so take our offering this morning. I ask that you'll use it to further your kingdom and your work, not only here, but around the world. And Lord, again, we, we come knowing that we have no right to be in your presence other than what your son, Jesus Christ, has done for us. That through his work, through his obedience, through his mission, we are now able to be clothed in a righteousness, found worthy to be in your presence. And as that temple has been opened and the veil torn, we can all come together and pray as you taught us, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. At this time, I'd like to ask the ushers if they would please come forward and help us with our offering.
If you'll join me in during our confession of sin together this morning, we'll lead it together through a hymn that's actually written to be sung. So if you'll turn in your hymn book to 552, from the out of the depths, I cry, O Lord. Let's sing that together as our confession. our sins together, we find the assurance of pardon. I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. And so as we continue to worship this morning, you'll see there in your bulletin, let's sing together, yet not I, but Christ, through Christ in me and by faith, as we prepare our hearts.
going down. I know many of you wanted to just keep right on singing. I do. It was a blessing. If you will turn with me to Mark chapter 6 where we have been going through, Mark is doing the same thing this morning as the music so well encourages us about serving the Lord and following Him. And My prayer for you this morning is whatever it is God is putting before you to do, please do not rely on your own abilities. Please do not rely on your own successes and perfections, but to know that when God has called you and equipped you, he's done so uh, to prepare you to trust in him. And so here this morning in Mark chapter 6, I want to speak to you briefly about do you have what it takes? I'm not trying to discourage any of you and saying you shouldn't do it, but I'm putting the standard before you of what Jesus has trained his disciples to do. In Mark chapter 6, we finally see the action not only of Jesus, but of those he has trained. If I were to ask you to raise your hand this morning, how many of you have spent a lot of time being trained in the scriptures? I could also ask you the same question, and now how many of you have done absolutely nothing with it? See, we live in a world, I hate to put you on the spot, but we all know what it's like to be trained and trained and trained and never put it into action. I can't imagine for all those people in the military who have been trained and trained and trained and trained day in and day out, every morning, sun up to sun down, to always be told you have to be ready and then to never be given the summons. And what about all those who train through college? Associate degrees, postgraduate degrees. You've been studying all your life just to know that when you're done studying, they said, okay, go home, sit, and do nothing. You've finished your studying. When it comes to discipleship, Mark tells us very clearly that Jesus has called us for a purpose. 
We'll see that this morning. And that we've been prepared and given the Holy Spirit and we've been equipped. We've become more than conquerors, not just to watch others fight the fight. You were asked to get in the ring. I know for my life, the majority of the years growing up were dealt around athletic fields. From a father who played in the minor leagues of baseball to those sisters who played collegiate sports volleyball and me in soccer and our family in a wealth of sports, my days grew up on a soccer field constantly training. I remember the days when they would call us up. I remember the first time I walked off the fields from high school and went to college in Salem Springs, Arkansas. And I was the lowly freshman coming in to play on a soccer team. And I remember training and being told by the coaches, don't worry, for all you freshmen coming in, you'll learn the system. It'll be several games in the season and eventually you'll get in to play. But we want you to learn how the team functions, plays together. And we got the spiel. I remember the, it was the third game of the season. We went up to play Rockhurst in Missouri. We got there, and I remember specifically Mario Carrillo, one of our players from Central America, came up beside Coach when we were in the huddle getting ready to go, and he said, I can't do this today. And without a slip, Coach looked right at me, and he said, okay, Jerry, you're in for Mario. And as you all know, my heart hit the floor. It started beating about a 1,000 beats per minute. And I thought, wait a minute, this is only the third game. You're already wanting me to step in and play against all these other guys in college and go forward. And Mario reached over, and I, I'm just paraphrasing, it's been years, but he gave me the encouragement. He said, don't worry, Jerry, you're ready. This morning, I'm saying to you, your neighbor's lost. Your coworkers are dying. Your own children are headed to hell. And Jesus has reached over to you and said, don't worry, I know you're ready. You can do this. You can be the one that shares with them. You can be the one that leads them to victory. So Mark tells us in chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, of all this training, he summoned the twelve and began to send them out in the pairs, and he gave them authority over unclean spirits, and he instructed them that they were to take nothing for their journey except a mere staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belt, but to wear sandals. And he added, do not wear two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave town. Any place that does not receive or you or listen to you, as you go out from there, shake the dust off the soles of your feet as a testimony against them. And they went out and preached that the people are to repent. And they were casting out many demons, were anointing with oil many sick people and healing them. And then I want you to jump down to verse 30. It's where the interjection of the story of John is put in there. And as you can see, for a reason, sharing the gospel has consequences. And Mark sandwiches, again, in the story of the disciples, this history of what happened to John. And in verse 30, we get the rest of the story after they went out preaching repentance and healing. It says, the apostles gathered together again with Jesus 
And they reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while. For there were many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. And they went away in the boat to a secluded place by themselves. The event of do you have what it takes, I'll give you several things as we go through the passage. I'll try to work through it so you'll understand it the best I can. First of all, let me tell you this. If you're going to have what it takes, you've got to be ready to respond to the call of God. That's exactly what has happened. The disciples have been with Jesus. They've walked with Jesus. They've heard him taught. He's been one of those, I think it's teachers, you know, walking and talking throughout the villages, small towns everywhere. And then they were sent off. Obviously, they've had some time to go back to their homes, go do some things. We've been a year and some in the ministry, and then Jesus summons them. For all you deacons who had a year break, we're summonsing you. For the elders who rotated off, you're being summonsed. That's the kind of attitude. It was, you've been trained, you've been serving, you've been with Jesus, and now you've had some time, and now the truth of the test comes. We need you to come and serve. And you must be ready to respond. He's been discipling these. The climax of all of Jesus' teaching is to send you out. Jesus doesn't just gather Christians and protect them until eternity when he comes back to get them. He gathers us to send us out, to train us, equip us. We know that by the Great Commission. There's nothing else given to us but to tell us, go and make what? Disciples. Again, I could ask you to get out your checklist. Write the names of the disciples that you have in your life. I'm not talking about the converts. Some of you might be here and you might be a great evangelist and everywhere you go, you share the gospel and people say, yeah, man, I'd love to have Jesus. And you have that quick little prayer. Well, just pray this with me and, and you'll be saved. I believe that's true. I believe when the Lord hears those prayers, doesn't mean they're your disciple. Did you follow up with them? Have you kept up with them? Did you train them? Did you teach them the truths? Did you encourage them when they were rejected by others? This is what Jesus has done with those that he's called to himself. Then they've gone through all of this training for the sole purpose of being prepared to further his will. That's God's calling. I used to tell people, I know what God's calling on your life is. I was young, right out of seminary, and was teaching Henry Blackaby's book, and they said, man, how do you know what God's will is? I said, I know what God's will for your life is. Henry Blackaby said it this will, God's will is for you to have an intimate love relationship with him. That's his will. His purpose is that you go out and share that with everybody else. We're only in this world for a short time, folks, and this world is not the end. It is a means for us to get to the place we are supposed to be. It's a means for us to be able to do what God's called us to do so that we can actually bring about and be ready for his coming. Jesus has done this with the 12 disciples. He's called them to him. Let me give you the Greek words they're used. They're, they're nice little rhyming words if you want them. What is this purpose? We've got to be ready to respond. Why? Because first there's the word proskaline, which is the word for calling. And then there's apostelline, the word for sending. That's what an apostle is. He proscalines us to apostolize us. He calls us to what? Send us. If you're saying you're obedient to Jesus Christ, you can't just say, I've responded to the call. That's only half. 
where has he sent you? It doesn't have to be out of the country. It might be the neighbor next door. It might be at the workplace. It might be in your church. Folks, as a pastor for going on 30 years full time, I promise you not everybody that comes into the church is already saved in a right relationship with God and just here to worship. If I asked you to raise your hand this morning, please don't. But how many of you have at least one person in your family that you know is not following Jesus Christ? Are you praying for God to send somebody else? He's called you. Apostelline, now go. Respond to what it is, the purpose God has for you. He was very different from the rabbis and the philosophers of the day because they were the ones that would actually let those students seek out their great philosopher or rabbi. And then when they would finally find the rabbi, they would stay with him forever and learn. And Jesus was the opposite. He was the one that sought out the apostles. And then he wouldn't keep them. He would send them away. What a different philosophy for those who are in the synagogues. Those who are used to finding those who agree with them and hang out forever and build a community. Jesus comes along and says, no, I don't care about that. I want you and I want you and I want you. And then he equips them and he says, now I want you to go and I want you to go and I want you to go. The question could be asked, do you have what it takes to respond to the call so that it doesn't stop halfway through? I'm not asking you to tell me this morning, but how many of you have been caught halfway through the calling? Well, my job got in the way. I didn't realize my career would take so much time, and I wanted to serve God, and I wanted to be out there doing things for the kingdom, and I knew there were people I could reach, but, but my job just took too much. I didn't realize how much money it would take. Sometimes I find myself, if I was to serve God, I'd have to sell my cars. I'd have to sell my belongings. I'd actually have to rent instead of owning, for heaven's sake. Oh, it's amazing what goes through our minds that if we're truly going to respond to the call and then go, what use is it to hold on to everything you've got? I think sometimes we're spending more time basking in the fact that we've been called, ignoring the fact that we should be sent. And Mark says this is how Jesus does it. Different from everybody else. The word for methetes is one who is a disciple, but the word for apostolos is the one for an apostle, one who has been commissioned. You see, the disciple is one who is learning. The apostle is one who is commissioned. Do you see the difference? The calling is one who comes to learn. The apostolos or the apostle is the one who is now sent with the commission. You're ready to go and lead. I could use the thing when we talk about commissioned officers. When you've been commissioned, it's because they're saying you have what it takes now to lead. Don't just spend your life doing the things here. Go lead. We live with Jesus. We learn from Jesus. And we go lead for Jesus. That's the purpose and the plan. 
We find ourselves throughout Scripture, Ephesians 2 makes it clear that the apostles and the prophets were what the church was built upon. The prophets who were called by God and commissioned to go speak for him and to further his kingdom. And the apostles who were chosen by Christ and sent out to further the gospel. The church is built on those that have been called by God and then sent by God. What is God sending you to do? Well, pastor, I don't know. I don't even know if God's called me. Hmm. That could be deep. I don't know where God's sending me. You think about the apostles in Scripture. Do you remember who the first apostle was? Don't be tricked. You want me to tell you? It was Jesus. Commissioned by God who came and told us in the Gospels that he only does what the Father has told him to do. One who left the portals of heaven and came to do the mission he was sent to do. Can you imagine if Jesus would have just said, Father, I know what you've asked me to do, and I'm glad you have chosen me to be the one, that I could be the one to die on the cross, to take the sins of the world, to place them on my shoulders, to wrap myself in that sinfulness, to live in the agony and defeat. I am glad you've chosen me. I just haven't had time to go to the cross. I'm not sure I'm ready for the mocking and the scourging. But I'm so glad you've chosen me as the one to do half of what you've asked me to do. Are we really satisfied as Christians only doing half of what God's purposed for us? Let me ask you something. What could be so important that you would not surrender to doing all God's purpose for you to do? What could be more important than being faithful to the one who created the world, brought you from dust, breathed life into your soul, and for you to say, I just don't have time? You must Respond to the call. The success depends on the call that we have and the equipping that Jesus gives us. Listen to the word that he says when he says he calls them and sends them out and gave them the authority. Some of the things use the word power. He gave them the power to do things. Folks, that is not the word dunamise, power. That is the word you have already learned. The correct word is authority. Exousia is the Greek word. It's the power that comes from authority that is why when you are a commissioned officer, we used to have several people say, I may hate the person and not want to do anything they want, but I respect the rank because they have an authority over me. Doesn't mean I couldn't whoop him. Doesn't mean I couldn't beat him in a boxing match or in a fight or a wrestling match. He doesn't have that kind of power over me, but I submit because his authority has been given to him over me. And Christ has given you authority over Satan. All his works, in all that he is doing, he cannot affect you. He's been defeated. The cross has enabled him to only do so much. He's been restricted. 
He's been imprisoned in many ways. The gospel is now spreading. The children are coming to their father faster than ever before around the world. You have an authority to do things, to continue his work, not based on your perfection. How many of you gospel message? You have a better way of presenting it. You have a way of putting a spin on it. You have a way to make it less offensive. When the truth of it is, he didn't send the apostles to go do what they wanted and to go make better their lives and to become more important people in society. He sent them to do one thing. They were commissioned to further his work. His work. It's not about your reputation. It's not about what people think about you in this world. What are you going to do when he looks at you face to face? Why did you only do half of what I asked? Yeah, but I'm saved, Father. I responded to the call, and I love Jesus, and I know he died for me, and I didn't want to spend eternity in hell, and so I'm here as a child of God. I've been saved. So what did you do for me? But I'm saved. I'm here. I'm in your presence. I'm here to give you glory. Why did you not go? But I'm here. You can hear the repetition over and over. It's almost as if you yourself want to say, get away from here. Because you're either with me or what? Against me. All of a sudden we realize the importance of the whole, do you have what it takes, is are you ready to respond? Are you ready when God summons you? Miracles were the way that they were given this ability to prove authority. It happened with Moses. It happened in the days when he was called by God, even in the Old Testament. Show him your hand, dip it in, get leprosy, turn your staff to the things. There were all kinds of miracles because they proved, the miracles only proved, not that you were special, but that you had authority that came from God. Even the gospel tells us that Jesus, they recognized and even said to Jesus, you could only do these things if you have come from God. Miracles aren't what give us glory. They were furthering God's work. But you don't just have to respond. You have what it takes. Are you actually ready? Don't just respond the call, but are you ready? It's the same instructions that were given. Do you realize when he says this, Matthew, Luke, and Mark all put this together, different stories, different words, sometimes the same Greek word, but difference in meaning of rods and staffs and what it's for. In a nutshell, what they're saying to you is don't take anything with you because when you're summoned and you say, yes, I need you to be what? Ready. Even so much to the point that when they called the disciples, one even said, well, let me go see my family. And do you remember what he said? Man, if, you if you're not ready to go now, you just go ahead and be with them. You just go ahead and finish what you think you need to do here on earth while I go on and prepare those of us who are ready for heaven. Are you ready? You see, take what he's saying here is all these things that you have with you. It's no different than in Exodus chapter 12. Go back and read it. It was the same instructions given to those going through the Passover and crossing the Red Sea and exiting Egypt. And they were out there in the wilderness wandering with only a few things on their back and one pair of shoes. And God would have to provide for 40 years. 
And what he was telling the apostles is, I'm sending you no different than God sent the prophets. Are you going to rely on your earthly gains, your worldly wisdom, and all that you've accumulated, packing up all your belongings to take with you? Or are you ready to just go and trust that when I call you, I'll provide what you need every step of the way? I'm not ready. Pastor, when I retire, I want to be a missionary to serve the Lord. I'm glad you know the future. For the Bible makes it clear that you ought to just say, I only know what's going to happen when, today. If you don't even know that God's calling you today, how do you know he's going to call you when you retire? Well, because then I know I'll have the funds to go. So you'll rely on what you've accomplished rather than what he's going to provide. Well, then I won't have to worry because all my children will be grown. Because not all of our children will make it to the adult age. I won't have to worry about my parents by then. I know that didn't turn out that way in my life. First, you have to respond. And you have to be ready. Oh, I never packed it. I was never called as a chaplain to hit the front lines. But I remember the first time my brother, who was a grunt in the army, came out of Fort Benning and he came home and my mom asked him where all of his clothes was and he pointed to this green bag. And she said, that's all your clothes? And I remember my brother saying, that's everything I own. Because when the military called him, he had not only to respond, but he had to be what? Ready. Don't tie down to the things in this world. Don't get hooked on the things of this life. They're deceiving They'll promise you rewards that will never bring about the future that you want. They'll promise you things that are going to turn your direction. You're going to get double vision, and you're going to try to serve the Lord on these days and not these days. Have the things of this world, but still claim the kingdom. Say you're faithful, but follow other things. You're not ready. So many Christians are not ready. He wants you to trust in him, to be able to move quickly when the time comes. I don't want to take a side in Russia and Ukraine. The elders even prayed as we were speaking together, I should say, not praying, but speaking together about crates for Ukraine. One of the elders even said, has anybody ever asked to do crates for the Russian families that are hurting? Oh, I'm not taking a side, but folks, I'll tell you what. When the borders were crossed and the war began and the fight was on, nobody said, well, hold on a minute. Give us about a year to get ready. They had to respond, and they had to go now. Folks, the battle's on. The war has been declared it's heaven or hell. You're either his 
or you're not. You're either lost or you're saved. You're hot or you're cold. The battle is raging, and you want to say, well, when I get to it, Lord, I'll be ready. I don't think you have what it takes if that's us. For all of a sudden, we're not trusting in all the things of the world. One of the writers that I read one time said it this way about missions. We shouldn't be caught up in all of today's belongings and the future of what it holds because who knows that we'll even make it to retirement as a missionary. Are you willing to give your life like Jesus gave his? Or is it only missions and places that are safe so that you can return and have grandkids and set up the future farms and have all the things, but you'll serve him in the meantime? Is the vow you made to your spouse, until death do we part, more important than the vow you take with Christ, that you confess him until he comes again? Every Lord's Supper? Are you ready? What's holding you back? What is it right now that's keeping you from being an apostle sent by God to reach the lost? The writer said this, we must be free from the things of this world so that we can be faithfully following and trusting in God and we can be completely focused on his purpose. Do you have what it takes? Yes, it's not just about being able to respond and ready, but you must be able to accept rejection. I never thought it would come from my own father. I expected it from certain friends practices and colleagues but listen to what jesus says wherever you go and you enter that house you stay there into that place they receive you or listen to you but as you go from there shake off the dust because some people are going to what reject you can you handle that i've learned to handle as a pastor a very humbling experience that there are a few people in this world that don't like me. Only a few. I told Nick before he left to do church planting, I've told some of the apprentices they're wanting to do planting now as I'm working in the Midwest with some of the new kids coming along. What's the benefit of church planting? I can tell you from straight up experience. Church planting is wonderful because everybody that comes to your church is because they like you. And everybody that's not there is because why? They don't like you. In church planting, you have to be willing to be rejected. Sharing the gospel means rejection. You're rejected. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus because they're either with them or against him. You're furthering his will, not your own. You're proclaiming his gospel, not yours. If you're being faithful to what God's called you and you've responded and you're ready to go, it's because you're not attached to anything in this world. You don't even care what their response is in one sense. You've been sent out to share the gospel, not to make sure people respond. And how do I know that's true? I'll give it to you in just a minute when we find out what they're preaching 
but we try to soften it at times so that everybody will accept it. We speak to people on an invitation. You know what it's like, whether it's huge campus crusades or conferences. We have invitations that are giving. Come and receive Jesus and you can be saved. That's only half of it, right? That's the calling part. Come and receive Jesus. You can be saved today. Come and surrender to him. You can have eternity with him. That's only half of it. We don't share the other half. If you don't come, you're a sinner lost and you're going to hell. That's the gospel presentation. Not just one-sided, you can come. But if you don't come, now you're spending eternity away from him in a place that's horrible of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, and maybe it's because we don't believe in it. Maybe evangelism today is softened up to where we don't want a bad place of hell. Nobody wants to talk about the negative. Nobody wants to talk about a place we've never been. How are people going to be brought to Christ through the negative things? Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about hell. Jesus wasn't afraid to talk about judgment. We actually have the biblical words for Gehenna, which in the New Testament... It's the place of end for all the suffering that takes place. And Matthew and Luke even tell the same story. They even give you these stories that say this. It would be better for those who have rejected the apostles in the gospel. It would be better for Tyre and Sidon and Sodom and Gomorrah than for those who reject the gospel. It's not about you. I can't imagine that standard that we would use Sodom and Gomorrah as a standard. That's how bad hell is. When you could wish to be out of hell into a place like Sodom and Gomorrah. All of a sudden we realize, do you have what it takes? Willing to respond to God's call? To be sent out? Ready to go? And you can take rejection? realizing that it's not you necessarily, but the gospel that's being rejected. Sometimes we don't think that the suffering is actual reality and that God is actually going to do something to those who don't accept him. Even in the Old Testament, we were given the directions on what happens when you disobey. You want me to read you just one section? Say yes, Pastor. From Exodus chapter 26, penalties for disobedience. God says, but if you do not obey me and do not carry out all the commandments, but if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul loathes my ordinances so as to not carry out all my commandments, but rather to break my covenant, then I in turn will do this to you. I will summon a sudden terror against you, a consummation and fever that will make the eyes fail and the souls languish. You will sow your seed uselessly for your enemies will eat it. And I will set my face against you so that you will be defeated before your enemies. And those who hate you will rule over you. And you will flee when there is no one even pursuing you. If also after these things you do not fully obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of power, and I will make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be consumed uselessly, for your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. 
And yet if you show hostility toward me, unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plagues on you seven times according to your sins. I will also let loose among you the animals of the fields, which will deprive you of your children and eliminate your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads become deserted. Sound like a God who doesn't care about disobedience? You could turn exactly to the same thing in John chapter 3. And you could read the story in John chapter 3 about the importance of wrath. There comes an understanding that this is important to be sent. There are consequences for those who disobey the call of God. John 3 simply says, if you do not obey, there is no life. What could be more important than fulfilling God's purpose in your life? You must respond. You must be ready. You must be able to take rejection, and you must preach repentance. He sent them out, and they preached repentance. How do I know it's not on you? Let me give you a little Greek. I'll let you go. When they preach the word repentance, as you have it here, it is the word from metanao. It's not metanos or metanos. It's not the, the noun form. It's the verb form. And it's actually, now catch this, those of you who love your Greek languages, metanao, or here, metanousin is the actual word in the Greek. Well, why does it have an ending like that? Because it's in the present active subjunctive of the third person plural. Well, what does that mean? Well, the third person plural means everybody. When you preach repentance, everybody might respond. That's the subjective case. It is not the indicative of fact. It is the subjunctive, which means it's not factual. When you preach repentance to everyone, they might respond. That's the Greek. No guarantee they will. No guarantee of a fact. Your job was to preach repentance that they might respond. And it only becomes indicative when the Holy Spirit touches their heart, changes them, and they do called by God, ready to serve him, please don't let Satan convince you that if people aren't responding to your preaching, it's because you're not doing it right. It's because only God can affect the response. Do you have what it takes to preach a repentance, a continuous, active turning to God that they just might do. And again, they might not. But that's up to who? Their response is not up to you. But your response to God's calling is. Their rejection is not your disobedience. But you're not going out and making disciples. 
is your disobedience. How do I know that? Because when it's all said and done, you're ready to return. When the missionaries come back home, they gather together in the church and they share what they've done. Verse 30, they came back, gathered together with Jesus and shared what they did for him. Do you have what it takes? Do you have what it takes to fulfill God's purpose? Proscoline called, apostelline sent. Don't stop in the middle. Don't only be half Christian and claim to be faithful. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the depth of your word that you send us out. Father, not necessarily to foreign countries or other states or even other cities, but Lord, you've commissioned every one of us to share your gospel, not just with other Christians, not just to do Bible studies, and not just to further our knowledge with one another, but to reach the lost and preach repentance, knowing that the rejection, Lord, is not of us, but of you. And their disobedience will bring a just recompense. But for us, Lord, all the earthly ties that have become so valuable to us. And as our faithful followers did, let us run the race with endurance. With our eyes focused and fixed on you, the author and finisher of our faith. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you would stand with me as we sing together our closing hymn together, rightfully, take my life and let it be, hymn number 585.
you receive the benediction, I remind you all the Sunday school classes downstairs. I'll be filling in for Jack downstairs. Stay with us. But if you'll receive the benediction, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And God's children said, amen. amen. Have a great Lord's Day. Please join us in singing happy birthday to Pastor Jerry. Happy birthday to you.